We've entitled this teaching series, Maxed Out, Finding Financial Freedom When You've Hit Your Max. What I really want to talk about, though, is what it feels like when you get overwhelmed in life. I don't know what overwhelms you. I remember as a young kid, you want to know something that gives me that paralyzing fear of being overwhelmed? I don't know what it is for you. Uh, For me, it's one distinct thing. It is mice. I don't know what it is, man. Like as a kid, I had this mouse run out and startle me at a young age, and I've always been petrified of mice. I know this is a strange story, but one time I found out that a mouse had gotten inside of my car in the garage, and all I could do every day as I drove to work was just be paralyzed that this mouse is going to come running up my leg or something while I'm driving the car. I, I don't know what paralyzes you in fear. Maybe it is uh, finances. Maybe it's something that you've struggled with, either because you never have enough. Let's be honest, none of us ever do. Or maybe it's because you always got people asking you for money. I I know a a lot of people uh, struggle with that as well. I don't know what stresses you out in that area, but I was thinking about this as kind of an analogy. Uh, I I always tell like bad stories about my kids because those are a lot of fun. You know, I got to pay them to do that. But uh, I wanted to tell a good story about my son, Jake, who's almost nine years old. Um, He did something that I would not have been able to do. He was playing in a basketball game earlier this fall, and uh, he had, they made the championship game of the entire series. And they were really excited, except for half the team couldn't come to the championship game. And so they only had five players. And one of those players fouled out with a few minutes left to go, and they only have four players, and they were losing the game. They got to the last 50 seconds of the game, and they were down four points, and they came back with four players, and it ended up winning the entire championship game. Isn't that fun? Uh, We got a little picture here of them. This is how kids are today. They gave them, like, massive rings, like they just won a Super Bowl or something, but, (laughs) which I found hilarious. You know, and I thought about that, and how many of us when it gets down to the wire, we feel the pressure. And rather than fighting back, we just give in and give up. You've been there? Maybe it's not finances for you. Maybe it's in the area of your kids. <laughs> Some of you young parents in here. I know we got a lot of you in the church. Maybe you're just overwhelmed by it. Maybe for some of you, it's in the, the dating world. Maybe it's for some of you. You've been married for 30, 40 years and keep working on that relationship. You just get maxed out, stressed out, and you want to throw the towel in sometimes. I don't know where you're at, but I hope that each of us, no matter what we're stressed out about, That today, we decide we're going to stand up and begin to fight back. In particular, over the next four weeks of this teaching series, we're going to talk about how to do that in the area of your finances. Now, I want to tell you, uh, we we already took an offering. The goal of this uh, campaign or this uh, teaching series is not to get you to give anything to this church. We... We're excited for what God is doing in the church. Uh, We're we're doing great financially. Uh, We don't need your money. We're honored that you're here. um, And we want you to just be impacted by what God is doing. And so you can come here as long as you want and never give a dime to this church. But I want to share with you some biblical principles about how to actually begin to find some freedom in your life. And the reason I want to do that, when I first became a Christian, man, I was living in a fraternity house. And I remember the first time I went to a church and they started talking about money and it was tax time. And I was like, I'm pretty sure you got a hidden agenda here. 
You knew there were going to be some uh, paychecks. You were going to get that tax return, and you were after something from people. And you know what happened? It was April. I went to a different church the next weekend, and that church was teaching on the exact same thing. And I went to another church the next weekend, three times in a row, and they were teaching on the exact same thing. And I began to just get this bitter taste in my mouth over organized religion in churches. Have you ever been there? See, what I want to share through these four weeks we have together is how to begin to find some freedom in this area of your life where money doesn't dictate your life. People asking you for money doesn't dictate your life. God dictates your life. And you look forward to seeing how he can use your time, talents, and treasures to fulfill his purposes with your life. Isn't that cool? And we're going to stand up and we're going to fight back against a culture that says we are identified by how much we're worth financially. Proverbs chapter two, uh, 22, verse 7 is kind of a theme ver- verse for us this weekend. It says this, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. That's kind of a rough verse, isn't it? Here's the thing. If you're new to church with us, uh, we're going to study the Bible. We believe that God inspired people to write this stuff down that we can hear from God today through his word, and it can be life-changing for us. And see, it's actually God in this passage that is saying that the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. We, uh, through the course of four weeks, want to talk about how we begin to find freedom rather than being a slave to finances. In fact, money can sometimes make us make really poor decisions. Look at Matthew chapter 26, verses 1 to 5. If you have a Bible, you can power that on. Turn to Matthew 26, 1 through 5. It says this, ready to study God's word, church? Yes. I heard a yes out there somewhere. You guys ready to study God's word together? Okay, here we go. Verse 1 says this. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, as you know, the Passover is two days away and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas. And they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him, but not during the festival, they said, or there might be a riot among the people. Things are in disarray. Jesus has come to Jerusalem, and the Jewish authorities and leaders are out to get him. And they get one of his own disciples, one of the twelves, to turn his back on him. You know how they do it? Look at verse 14 with me. If you skip ahead in Matthew chapter 26, verse 14, it says this. Then one of the twelve, you've probably heard this before, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, what are you willing to give me? if I deliver him over to you. So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Judas, one of the 12, walked with Jesus for three years, saw the miracles, saw him turn water into wine, saw him feed 5,000 people with just a few loaves of bread and some fish. But he cashes it all in because Jesus wasn't the Messiah he was looking for. And he does it for 30 pieces of silver. I don't know if finances are the temptation that overwhelm you in life, but that's what it was for Judas. As we study this and we look at these questions, I want to answer this question in particular. Are you feeling maxed out today? And I know some of you are. And I know I can at times. And you get overwhelmed and run down. And that's often when I and you, we make poor choices, don't we? 
That's what I wanna talk about. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for each person that is here tonight, uh, worshiping you, studying your word. As we look at this issue, God, we pray that you would speak to us in our own lives personally, that this would be a life-changing time for us, God, that we're not trying to teach an action, we're trying to teach connection with you, God. And so I pray that through this series, we get grow closer to you, we fall more in love with you, that you created us, redeemed us, and have a desire and purpose and plan for our lives, God. We want to fulfill that plan. We acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit with us right now. God, we just pray you'd speak to us in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's family said, amen, amen. Uh, now, I know, I, I, let's see, uh, you raise your hands. How many of you would like, not a lot, but at least a little more money? How many would like just a little more money? Come on now, yeah, you might want just a little more money. Yeah, everybody does. We all want a little more. If you didn't raise your hand, you're probably lying. Uh, the, those watching at home, baby, get that hand up. We, we all would love just a little bit more. And this message really is for Christians who are trying to figure out what the Bible teaches us about this issue in particular. Have you ever made dumb decisions when it came to the area of money in your life? <laughs> you get the hand real high on that one. I've made dumb decisions, like really dumb decisions. One time I was like uh, in my early 20s and I finally had a job and I saw a, a stock that I knew nothing about and I took uh, any money that I had and I put it all into this stock because I thought for sure this is going to be the winner, baby. A year later, that stock did not exist, <laughs> okay? You done something like that before? When we moved here from Southern California, we, uh, we scrapped like crazy to start a church um, out of our house, basically. And this church, if you're new to the church, uh, we officially started the church six years ago. We met for a year in our home before that. And we, we went through some really tough things for our family during that time. We naturally, uh, moving from Southern California to Indiana, we took a pay cut. We were trying to give as much money away as we could. And I, I don't say that to brag. I, wanted, I say that to share how dumb my decision I'm about to share with you was. We are literally weeks away from starting the church that we moved here to sacrifice for. And we went into a pet store. That was mistake number one. Mistake number two, I let my wife go look at the cute puppy dogs. And I don't know if you've been in a pet store, but like puppy dogs now are like $12,000 to buy a dog. And we saw this cute little puppy that my wife just had, in this true, just had to have. And we were weeks away from starting it, and we, the church, and we bought this dog. Waste of money, first of all, not because the dog was bad, but because we weren't ready to have a dog. Number two, we had a year-and-a-half-year-old child. His name is Jake, and he was already a handful at that age. And for the first couple of months, we had the puppy dog. He peed everywhere, like all over the house. And I was working six days a week, like 12, 14-hour days, trying to say, God, use me. And here we are worrying about this dog. We ended up having to find a loving family to give him to, and we lost a bunch of money in the process. You ever made a dumb decision about money? I know you have. I know I have. And I, I think sometimes that I need to read verses like this and be reminded of why we prioritize certain things in our life. I told you Proverbs 22, verse 7 the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. Do you know what the word servant there is? It's the word ebed. And it means to be a servant or there in that translation, a slave. That literally it's a servant slave that you are in bondage. 
Now, how do you know if you're in bondage when it comes to finances? Here's, here's how you know. If you've ever been like, I would love to start a family. I would love to get married. I would love to follow God. I would love to take a leap of faith and begin to serve him, but I don't have the financial resources to do it. I would love to purchase a house. I would love to have a space of my own. I would love to start a business, but I can't because I don't have the money. We've all been there. You know that you were in bondage, that your choices are dictated by your finances. Now stop right there for just a second. Because I think uh, in Christianity, for far too long, we have communicated to people that somehow if you follow the Lord, all of a sudden you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And that's just simply not always the case. I don't know if you know this, Jesus was a poor man, okay? So get that out of your mind for just a second. But if we are allowing our choices in life to be dictated by what's going on financially in our lives, and we could be living more closely for God to go on a mission trip to help somebody in need, to make a bigger impact with our life, and we always come back to our finances, maybe we need to begin to look inward and say, God, how can I change this? Here's what I mean. In our culture, we have an epidemic, an epidemic in this area. These are new statistics I found online that uh, from some reliable resources that 71% of Americans say that they are in debt today. 71% of Americans are in debt. The average credit card debt is $16,425. By the way, I shared a similar statistic about three years ago in a service, and that had gone up about two dollars to $3,000 since that time. That's how bad it is, even though our economy has been doing better. By the way, men, I know we think the ladies are the ones with the problems. Men, you are three times more in debt than the women. Isn't that crazy? I guess we like our cars and our boats and our different toys to play with. Average credit card debt goes up as income goes up, by the way. (laughs) See, we often think if I just made more money, then I'd fix all these problems in my life. Statistically, at least, average credit card debt actually goes up if your income goes up. Average U.S. households living paycheck to paycheck, 78%. 78% of our households. Feeling overwhelmed is just the norm. We just assume I'll always have a house payment, a car payment, student loans, credit cards, sleepless nights, marriage tension over finances. You don't have to raise your hand on this one, but I guarantee half of you in the room had a fight with your spouse in the last couple of months over money. And see, what we want to show you is that scripturally speaking, the enemy, Satan, would love to use this area of your life to be destructive, to break relationships with your spouse with your kids, with your grandkids, to destroy friendships, to destroy families, because greed dictates our choices. And in the middle of all of that, we're called to be something different in the world. And yet we don't know it because too often in church, uh, when churches talk about the issue, they only talk about we, we need money and that's it. And they don't share what really is at stake here, that there is a spiritual aspect in this area of our life. Do you realize that Jesus, two-thirds of the parables he told had to do with money? That's incredible, isn't it? In fact, uh, they dealt with money and possessions. One out of ten verses in the Gospels, if you're new to the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John talk about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. One in ten of those verses talk about money. 2,300 Bible verses on money, that's five times as many verses on money as there are on prayer and faith combined. It's incredible. And yet too often in my life, I can't speak for yours, 
I like to separate my relationship with God from this particular area of my life. It's a spiritual thing that's at stake. So here's what I want to do. In the short time that we've got, I want to give you three biblical foundations on money. And the first one is this. If you're taking notes, we are tempted to serve money, to make that our master. Uh, We're tempted to serve money. Judas, in the verses I read in Matthew 26, he turned everything over, turned Jesus the Messiah in for 30 pieces of silver. That was his temptation. In fact, earlier in Matthew 6, 24, it said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other. You'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Of all the things he chose here, money was the one that he thought was most likely to bring you away from following God in your life. Money would be the number one competitor for our hearts. Isn't that interesting? And especially in our culture in American society today, where every movie we watch, every TV show we get into, our advertising and our magazines and on television, they're always tempting us to serve money, to make it our master. Here's how you know uh, you and I serve money and not God, because we've bought something we didn't really need to impress some people we don't even really like. (laughs) You ever do that? Maybe you've uh, hoarded money and you don't give anything away because you serve money first. Maybe you fight to move up because uh, you want the kids to have a better lifestyle than you have and you expend all of your financial resources to make sure they get that. And so you serve money with your entire life only to pass on something that you'll never even get to witness. That's how most of us live as human beings. And Jesus kind of had a different way of doing this. And throughout the Bible, God talks about uh, these things differently. In fact, Psalm 24, 1 through 3 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend to the mountain of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place, everything is God's. That instead of serving money, that everything in our lives actually is God. God's the one that gave me the physical ability to stand up here on stage and do what I do for a living. He is the one that gave you the ability to do whatever it is that you do in order to pay the bills. We, everything is from the Lord. Number two, if you're taking notes, we're going to move quickly because I want to dive into the heart of this and really tackle the feeling of feeling maxed out and overwhelmed in your life. Number two, we are tempted to not just serve money, but to love it. Look what 1 Timothy 6 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have uh, wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Money's not bad. It's actually a good thing. It actually enables uh, us to do some incredible things with our lives. You realize that um, my wife and I wouldn't have been able to move here and been a part of starting Mercy Road Church if we hadn't practiced some of this stuff the years leading up to it and saved up enough resources to actually see that happen. And I think sometimes when we actually prioritize these things in our lives, and this isn't just for the poor people or the wealthy people, for like the middle class people, man, we prioritize these things in our lives, you will see that God gives you the ability to actually do what he's calling you to do. Money isn't the, the, um, the problem. The love of money, the love of money is the root of all evil. And sometimes we, we mistake that. We get into judging people because of what they have, and we don't really see whether or not they are in love with money or whether they've prioritized things rightly in their life. One of the people I love to talk about anytime I talk about this issue was just standing up here a moment ago. I didn't tell him I was going to do this, but if you don't know Eric Maitland, uh, 
he orients his whole life around the Lord when it comes to living on mission. And it always challenges me in my faith. When we first started the church, do you realize it was three years before he had any kind of salary to lead worship for us? At that time, he was traveling around as a missionary, had been for six years on the road. By the way, if you think Eric sacrifices a lot, you should get to know his wife, Jillian. For six years, she traveled with him in an RV, the two of them and three of his buddies. Uh, Could you imagine, ladies, you just got married and you traveled around the country for six years with four guys? Wouldn't that be horrible? Like some of you, that's like your nightmare. It's an RV too. You all use the same bathroom. Like who wants to do that? But they were so in love with God and they wanted to share what he had done in their life. The Jillian she shared before had been addicted to drugs and, and Eric had been kind of an alcoholic in the fraternity house and God had totally changed their lives and they wanted to share the love they experienced from God with other people. And so they prioritized those things in their lives. And it's interesting how God has always provided for them. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says this, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. Don't love money. The issue isn't our income, but our lifestyle. We feel we need more and more and more, uh, that we got to live out this particular lifestyle today. There are songs written about this, right? That I got to have this certain lifestyle to show people what I'm really like and impress people I don't even really care about. Judas is spiritually sick here. He's spiritually sick And that's what causes him to cash in the most important thing in his life, his love of God, his love that he got to walk with Jesus, the Messiah, for three years, got to see him do miraculous things, but he cashes it all in because when it came down to it, he loved money just a little bit more. He's spiritually sick. By the way, it doesn't end well for Judas, does it? By Matthew 27, he takes his own life because of the problems that he has created for himself. He felt so overwhelmed, so maxed out that he knew nothing else to do but to just give up. I want to tell you tonight, if you're feeling that way in any way, shape, or form, overwhelmed, maxed out, that the God created you, he loves you, he redeemed you, he wants to draw near to you and be with you in your pain and your suffering, he doesn't want you to feel overwhelmed, he wants you to feel his presence that's here with us right now. But when it comes to this area, we're tempted to serve money and we're tempted to love money. Instead, number three, what we should do is money should serve us as we serve God. Money should serve us as we serve God. Romans 13.8 says this, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Whoever loves others has fulfilled the, the law. That first and foremost, We have to prioritize that our love of God and our love of others is what Jesus says are the two most important things in our lives. To love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and being, and to love our neighbor as ourself. You know, we mentioned the announcements Dana did about the Expand the Vision campaign. The best part about that is two-thirds of that is going to make an impact outside the walls of this church. And it's so cool. I didn't know he was going to be here, but Kevin Eckes is here from Inside Out Recovery, the prison ministry that $50,000 is going to go to the rehabilitation of. And I, we got to share that with him just a moment ago. I can't wait to see how some of you don't just give finances, but go down there and serve the ministry, help with some of the renovation and make an impact 
that Jesus cares about those things, so we should care about those things. But those types of sacrifices don't happen without you and I prioritizing things in our lives. Do you realize that um, when, we, when we bought this building as a three-year-old church, we didn't have the money to do it. And we never want to be the church that spends all our money on buildings and staff. In fact, most churches, if they're good, they give away 10% of their resources. Uh, we, we, this year, are giving away over 35% of our resources en route to giving away 50% of our resources every year. We've had that goal for three years now, and we get uh, 5% closer each year. Next year, we're going for 40%. I talk to other leaders about that, and it kind of blows their mind that you want to be that type of church to make an impact in that way. But we do, can only do that if money serves us as we serve God. And when we purchased this property, we didn't have the resources, but some people just sacrificed everything in their life. I mean, everything. And um, in fact, uh, I saw Willie here. Willie's uh, back here. You know, he cuts my hair every, every uh, two weeks. I love Willie. He's the best hairstylist in the world, although we have some other great ones here. But uh, I, uh, for t- like a year, I didn't get my hair cut by Willie. It broke my heart, man. My hair, it did not look as good. It just did not. Instead, uh, my wife cut my hair for a year. And most of you didn't even notice it, but we were tried to give up one small thing in our life. Willie, we don't want to do that, though, ever again. We'll never do that again. But maybe you look at your life and go, what can I prioritize? My wife and I, you get this, for five years, we didn't have cable. I know that seems like impossible, but we didn't, we didn't have cable. We didn't have Netflix either. We didn't know what we were going to do with like playing Parcheesi with our kids every night. We didn't have nothing else to do. Like, you have to figure out and how to be inventive if you want to prioritize some things in your life to say, God, use me at prioritizing whether we eat out or the movies that we watch or the new clothes that we wear. Some would rather be broke than to not have cable. Why? Why do we want to go so far in debt and have all of these things only to be ruled and owned by money? And my entire lifestyle is dictated by it. I'm reminded of the story in 2 Samuel that tonight there might be some people, when culture tells us to live one way, we're going to begin to stand up and say, I'm going to live differently. I'm not going to live that way. 2 Samuel chapter 23. I love this guy. You probably never noticed this before. 2 Samuel 23 verse 11. Next to him was Shema, son of Agi, the Hararite. I love the names. When the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field full of lentils, Israel's troops fled from them. All of Israel's troops flee from battle. All of them. The Philistines are coming to destroy them, except for this one guy. But Shema took a stand in the middle of the field. He defended it and struck the Philistines down. The Lord brought about a great victory. That, That there was one person who believed, no, 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 no. I have Almighty God on my side. I'm gonna stop running away from my problems. And I'm going to stand up. I'm going to take a stand and begin to live differently and believe that God is going to come through for me. What would that look like in your life? I don't know what's overwhelming you right now. I don't know what's maxing you out. Maybe it is the area of your finances and you are so far in credit card debt and you are so far overwhelmed. I know what that's like, not the credit card debt. My wife and I, like I said, got to prioritize those things early in our marriage. But you know what did happen to me one time? I was working as a pastor in Southern California. We were living in a back house. And my wife had just had our first son, Jake. And she had uh, uh, an epidural that um, actually began to leak spinal fluid. And she had what's called a spinal headache. She couldn't sit up in bed for a week. I 
I had never been a dad before. <laughs> first time dad's out there. Pastor Luke's about to have his first kid. He's in for a world of hurt. But when you had that first kid, I saw that kid and I'm like, what am I supposed to do with this? And then my wife can't sit up for an entire week. And then my son turned out and got jaundice. I took him to his appointment. He sat up in the doctor's office. We, we put him up to figure out why his skin was yellow. He threw up everywhere, all over the doctor's office. I got him back home. It started raining. We were living in Southern California. It doesn't rain in Southern California. It started raining cats and dogs, man. And the water began to come into the back house in which we were living. And about an inch of water flooded the entire front part of our little uh, back apartment, including the room that our one-week-old son was sleeping in. And I remember going, God, how did I get here? That financially, as a young pastor, I've had a kid, my wife's sick, I've got to take care of him, we can't financially live in a better place, i got water sitting on the floor, mildew is beginning to form, he's going to get sick, have you been there, you've been maxed out, overwhelmed, going, God, where are you? I believe that we could actually take a stand and say, God, I'm going to believe in Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. It says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. His yoke is easy and our burden is light. That doesn't mean you're not going to get stressed out. It doesn't mean you're not going to feel maxed out. It means when you are stressed out and you are overwhelmed, you know you're going to be okay you know you're going to be okay. I'll tell you, we got three kids now, and there are times I feel this on a daily basis. But you know, I don't freak out like I used to when we had our first kid. Because I know God's walked us through so much. He's going to get us through this next part. He's going to see us through. His yoke is easy, and his burden is light. Jesus came for the overwhelmed. 